I'm ready. Um, before I start, I want to give a huge shout out to our tech team. I'm putting them, uh, I'm making them get their money's worth this morning, uh, even though they're not paid. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for all you do. And uh, yeah, so one of my favorite movies growing up was called The Iron Giant. Anybody remember that one? It came out in uh, 1999. And I don't know, I'm going to age myself here, okay? I was two years and four days old when it came out. Two years old and four days. Um, a couple of you might be older, a couple of you might be younger. Maybe some of you didn't exist. That's totally fine. Um, but if you haven't seen it, and, or you don't remember the plot, I'm going to be talking about it throughout this message. So, it's the Cold War. Tensions are high on an international level. All of a sudden, what seemed to look like a meteor crashed down from space just off the coast of Maine in the United States near a town named Rockwell. A nine-year-old boy named Hogarth Hughes witnesses the meteor crash and decides to investigate the next morning. If you have your Bibles and or your Bible app, you can turn or swipe with me to 1 Corinthians 15. If you're not familiar with 1 Corinthians, uh, it's a letter written by this guy named Paul to this church in Corinth, hence Corinthians. Uh, Corinth was this major city between Athens and Sparta, so if you've seen the movie 300, like those kinda, that kind of vibe. Uh, and it was known for its geographical location and port, because it was actually an entryway into what is now Greece from the Mediterranean Sea. You can read about uh, Paul's first trip to the city of Corinth in Acts 18. And uh, the letter 1 Corinthians is actually, like, after his first trip, he kind of was like, ah, you know, I hear that they're struggling with some things. I need to address this because it's going to spiral out of control and then chaos is going to erupt. So the letter of 1 Corinthians is actually broken down into five distinct sections. In each section, Paul's addressing an issue that the church is facing or has faced or that the church will face. Because as you hear these sections, you're going to kind of go, huh, that seems really familiar. So the list of these sections is this. Paul talks about division, like there isn't any of that in the world today. He talks about sex. He talks about food. He talks about the gathering of believers. And lastly, he talks about the part I'll be covering, the resurrection. So I want to preface this with a quick side note, actually. I don't know where you're at in your faith walk with Jesus. I don't know if this is your first time in the door today or you've been coming here for a super, super long time. But what I do know is that God sees you. God sees you. He loves you. He knows every detail about you. And he wants your heart more than anything in creation. So, starting in verse 1. Let me now remind you dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it now. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. Pause there. 
back to the movie. Hogarth Hughes discovers this meteor that crashed wasn't actually a meteor at all. You see, as he was investigating, he finds this 50-foot-tall robot alien attempting to eat the transmission lines of an electrical station. Hogarth eventually befriends the giant, and he actually finds that the giant is really friendly and really curious. Um, but, you know, as, as, you know, because he's an iron giant, and iron giants need to eat, um, he makes his way to a train track and starts, like, having a quick train track snack. I wrote that in my notes because it, it was funny and it rhymed. <laughs> so he's making his way, he's eating these train tracks, but unfortunately, because trains use train tracks to get around, um, there was an oncoming train headed straight for the half-eaten train track. The giant, upon Hogarth's instructions, repairs the track at the last second, right before the train is about to hit the unrepaired tracks. However, because of this, the train collides with the iron giant, sending the giant into the air, and having metal and scrap come crashing down. He doesn't look very good. He's actually missing both hands. His jaw is half falling off. There's pieces of metal that scatter the area. And there's no light, which was once in the giant's eyes. It's not there. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is reminding this church about the good news he actually taught them all the way back in Acts 18. In Acts 18, verses 4 and 5, this is what, Paul, this is what Luke says about Paul's trip. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all of his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So Paul taught the Corinthians that Jesus was the one whom God said he would send to redeem humanity. You see, Paul taught them that all of those, like, over 350 Old Testament prophecies was about this one guy and how this one guy actually fulfilled them. That's crazy. That's statistically impossible. Yet it happened in the person of Jesus. But then he actually said, goes on and says something really weird in verse 2. He says, It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message that I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. Right here, this is kind of Paul's thesis statement. You could argue that actually all Paul does or all he ever did in his ministry was because was a reflection of this statement. And if you know anything about thesis statements, you kind of know it's like a premise or an idea that needs to be defended. And so when you go for a master's degree or you have to write a thesis paper, that paper is like an accumulation of all of the work you've done in your academic career. It's, it's a, an accumulation of all of the years of work that you've put in. This is Paul's accumulative master's study, actually. Back to the movie. 
just as Hogarth begins to mourn the giant, because you see the giant wasn't any worse for wear, the giant's eyes flicker back on again. The giant stands up somehow, and the beacon, like a weird like beacon thing, arises from its head. The beacon actually allows the giant to self-repair, because somehow all of the pieces of the giant have like this weird, uh, like purple essence to them and that beeps and whenever the, the, the antenna thing goes off and then it just like the giant's like psh, psh, I'm alive again and that's just what he does I don't know how but that's just what he does he's an alien giant um, when, the, when, the, when the giant is doing this he's, you know, his hands come back on Hogarth hears a voice in the distance it's the train conductor hello Anybody out there? Because like all of a sudden his train got hit by something crazy and he's kind of wondering what's happening. So Hogarth starts to actually panic. He's befriended this giant and he actually can't let anybody know about the Iron Giant or else they'll probably try to kill him or experiment on him. Remember, this is in the heart of the Cold War. So Hogarth leads the giant back to his home for the night, where he shows the giant a comic book and compares him to Superman after watching him like completely self-prepare. And so, if the video's working, it may or may not be, it's working. Okay, I have a short video for you guys to watch. That clip shows uh, what was kind of missed at the beginning was um, Hogarth's mom asking him to pray for dinner, and then <laughs> the uh, ensuing chaos kind of came out. That whole movie is kind of like in that vibe of, of, of chaotic energy, and, and yeah, kind of funny though. But Kent Mansley, that, that, that agent that you saw, is sent by the U.S. government to investigate the crash of this train. Um, and he, he's kind of like really curious, doesn't really know, and, and he kind of sees Hogarth running away from the scene of the accident. So he suspects Hogarth's involvement, which is why he comes to his house. And he actually questions um, Hogarth and his mother after this scene. Um, eventually, the next morning comes around, and the agent convinces the mother to let him rent a room in their house so that he can kind of keep an eye on Hogarth. While this is happening, Hogarth leads the giant to a scrapyard owned by this guy named Dean. But Dean, after seeing this iron giant, he's kind of like a recluse guy on the fringes of society. He actually agrees to help Hogarth hide the giant at his scrapyard. Paul continues on in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. I passed on to you what was most important, and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later all the apostles. And last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. 
For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Pause here. The second argument Paul is making is actually a multifaceted one. You see, he's looking at the life, death, and resurrection of Christ from multiple different angles. He says, look, what I passed on to you, I know to be true. I've seen it with my own eyes. Jesus lived this life filled with like a godly passion and desire to live out his God-given purpose in life. He was arrested, he was tried, he was executed. And Paul argues, why? Why did all this happen? Well, because long ago, actually, in the Old Testament, God said that he would make humanity right with himself again. God said he would take on the mantle of responsibility in human redemption and human restoration. Isaiah the prophet, who is actually uh, roughly, this was his book when you, when you read it in the Old Testament, you're actually reading about 720 years before Christ ever came around, before Jesus was even born for that matter. And this is what Isaiah the prophet declares. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. In the book of Job, which is chronologically the oldest writing in the Bible, Job says this in Job 19. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Back to the movie. Hogarth is interrogated by Kent after finding a photo uh, Hogarth and the giant took together. And he actually summons the U.S. Army because, like, if I saw a 50-foot-tall giant, I'd kind of freak out too. So that's a reasonable kind of, like, thing. They go to the scrapyard to prove the giant's existence. But Dean, having been this clever kind of outcast of society, having, also having been warned by Hogarth earlier that the army was coming, tricks them into pretending that the giant was actually one of his art pieces. It's, it is successful. And after the giant leaves, or after the army leaves, Hogarth meets up with the giant and they go adventuring in the woods. They see a deer get shot by some hunters, and then this giant, not having a concept of what death is, because as you know, like he can just self-repair, Hogarth actually explains that like all things die, and how human beings have souls. The next day, while playing with a toy gun at the scrapyard, Hogarth inadvertently activates the giant's self-defense system, and the giant nearly kills him 
after going into like this trance-like state. Dean yells at him for nearly killing Hogarth, and the saddened giant, because apparently big metal giants also have emotions, runs away with Hogarth giving chase. Dean quickly realizes that the giant was only acting in self-defense, and as Hogarth runs after it, Dean eventually catches up to Hogarth, and they chase after the giant. The giant makes his way into this town of, called Rockwell, where Hogarth was actually born. Two boys heard rumors of this giant robot alien, and so they're standing on this tall roof with binoculars, trying to see, trying to look out into the forest and see if they can see the robot. Well, luckily enough for them, they do. They actually see the giant coming, and they kind of start freaking out, and eventually, they start leaning over the rail of this tall building. Unfortunately, the rail, being kind of old, broke. And these two boys fell off the roof. They're kind of dangling there, kind of freaking out. And everyone's freaking out because they see these two boys dangling there. And all of a sudden, the giant sees them as well. Well, he hears them, and then he sees them. And just at the last second, right when they're about to hit the ground, the giant comes and like a professional MLB catcher catches them in his hand. Not only does he save the two boys, but the town of Rockwell, who they heard rumors of this big evil metal giant, now see that the giant means them no harm, and the giant actually wins over the town. Paul in 1 Corinthians argues that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies, but not only that, the historicity, meaning the historical authenticity of Jesus, Paul is concerned here about as well. Have you ever read a book on self-improvement or how to live a better life? I have. I've read one or two because I need those kinds of books. But some of them I've read... They're just like awesome theories, right? Like they're so good. You're like, yes, this is sweet. This is awesome. But then you kind of like begin to read more and more and more. And you're like, man, this author is so detached from reality. Everything they're saying is like, like some of it's good. It's all good in theory. But in practice, it's something completely different. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying the scriptures, the scriptures, the scriptures say this. But then all of a sudden, he turns, he makes uh, like a, kind of like, check this thing out. And he goes, actually, this isn't just words on a page. He appeared to not just one or two people post-resurrection, but to 12, and then eventually 500 of his followers. This is a historical fact. Paul is saying this isn't just scripture, this isn't just words on a page, this actually happened. Like, actually happened. What should have completely stopped the Christian movement, what should have totally brought this train to a screeching stop, hitting that iron giant and sending the giant flying in the air, actually only accelerated it and propelled it through the world at the time at rocket-like speeds. People were hearing the gospel and their lives were being changed and transformed. They were being brought from death to life and this was like crazy. It was all happening. And, and you can read about it in the book of Acts more. And, and even today, we can claim to be Christians 
we can claim to be followers of Jesus because of the boldness of the, the, the first century church in, in Corinthians. So, the last thing Paul does in this kind of section is he makes it super, super personal. He says, as though I had been born at the wrong time. And when I read this, I'm kind of like, Paul, what are you saying? Like, what do you, what do you mean right now? Because from my perspective, this guy who's written over half of the New Testament writings, over half, the majority of the letters, he's saying like, as though I had been born at the wrong time. Why are you saying this? And you'd think for someone so on fire for God's church, right, that his whole, like he was so encaptured by this calling that it was his whole purpose. His whole purpose was to be an apostle. His whole purpose was to go out and make more churches. But when Paul is saying this, he's saying something incredibly intense that'll probably like irk a little bit, irk us a little bit, just because it irked me quite a bit. You see, when he says, as though I was born at the wrong time, he's saying this. The Greek word he uses is actually called it, it's, it's ektroma, and I, I, don't, I don't know if there's any Greek scholars in here who's like, that's not how you pronounce it. That's okay. I'm, I'm new to this thing. Um, but the original language, ektroma, that original word, can be translated to mean stillborn, aborted, a child prematurely born, or abnormally born. So he's referring to himself as these things. And because of this, he thought he wasn't even worthy to be called an apostle. And I kind of wonder, as I was reading this and preparing for this, I kind of wonder how many of us go through the same kind of feelings. How many of us have this feeling of imposter syndrome where we doubt the skills and talents that God has given us? We say, no, like, God could never use that. God could never use these things. God could never use my story. God could never use my gifts of baking to bring joy to Dylan in his life. We have this weird, persistent, internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. But the very next part... I think Paul is saying something that we all need to hear. We're returning to the movie. As the army is leaving Rockwell, after having no luck finding the giant, Agent Kent looks in his rearview mirror and he sees the giant standing in the middle of the town after saving the two boys. He scrambles the army and they get back and, and they actually attack the robot. They send rockets at him and stuff. And by this point, Hogarth and Dean had caught up to the Iron Giant in the town of Rockwell, and, and they had made their amends, and they said, like, look, I know you're just acting in self-defense. I know you're not mean. I'm sorry. Like, I didn't mean to yell at you, blah, 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 blah. And so the giant picks up Hogarth and, and holding him, and it's like this big happy moment of reunion. But then, yeah, the giant's hit in the back with a missile, and he goes, what the heck? And then the army opens fire on the giant, and the giant actually all of a sudden just kind of like, takes off running, 
and he's running through this town, and then the army sends actually fighter jets because normal weapons aren't working, so they send fighter jets to come after this giant. And then the giant just like pops up into the air and then just like, you know, just flying around and stuff. And Hogarth's like laughing because he's like, this is awesome. Because if I was nine years old flying around, I don't know if I'd find it awesome. I'd kind of be freaked out. But um, he's having a great time, even though like there's perilous danger. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the giant actually gets shot down by the fighter jets. And they come crashing down to earth. But the giant actually ends up saving Hogarth by like wrapping him close and keeping him safe. But they crash down to earth and the giant awakens to find Hogarth motionless beside him. The army approaches the giant and begins to open fire again. The giant's defense systems activate and he begins to go berserk crazy, blowing up tanks and other vehicles and making his way through the town of Rockwell and people are freaking out. Ah! And just then, Dean and Hogarth's mom actually find Hogarth and they load him up into a vehicle and they're like, we got to take this guy to the hospital. He's knocked unconscious. Luckily, he's not dead. He's, he's, he's not doing very good. And so, just as this is all happening, the army realizes, oh, Conventional guns aren't really working. Our tanks aren't working. Our fighter jets aren't working. But you know what might work? The army general then ordered a nuclear strike on the giant because no of the the other weapons were working. This would blow up the town of Rockwell as collateral. Dean and Hogarth's mom drive into town, but they're blocked by the army saying, look, like, you can't go past here. You know, we kind of are doing this, like, nuclear thing. Um, so you have to actually turn back. And, and as Dean and Hogarth's mom are arguing with them, they look back to see that Hogarth actually isn't in the car anymore. He's sprinting down the road towards the giant. And... Uh, He's running up toward this giant, and, and this giant actually only his, his self-defense or his defense system only recognizes when he's being attacked. And so he was realizing that he was being attacked by battleships um, out on sea. And so he's about to take aim at the USS Nautilus. And he, like, you know, is this, has this big gun come out of his chest, and he's about to shoot this big energy bomb at the ship. And Hogarth goes like, hey. And the giant misses. And uh, <laughs> that's when Hogarth kind of like reasons with the giant and is like, look, like, they just don't understand. And, and he ends up actually calming the giant successfully. And when the army general sees this, he realizes, actually, the, the giant isn't out to harm anyone. He's not. And he's actually ready to stand down the nuclear option. But this paranoid agent, the one you saw in the video, Kent Mansley, kind of freaks out a little bit and steals the phone from the general and orders the nuke to be launched. And so, the bomb is launched. The Apostle Paul continues in 1 Corinthians. 
But whatever I am now, it is because God poured out his special favor on me. And not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. It is not I, but God who is working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already believed. Another translation, the ESV actually says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul, after saying he's abnormal in this extremely negative sense, follows it up by saying, but whatever I am now, all of my faults, all of the good things I've done, whatever I am now, is all because of the grace of God. He's saying, because Jesus lived, died, and rose again, I am what I am. That's now my identity. Not what I think of myself, not what others think of myself, but what Jesus thinks of me, what the Father thinks of me. And he considers me holy and blameless, right in his sight. He's making that He's making the direct point that because of all of these things and because it all happened, they should have a direct influence on the decisions I make and the decision on how I see myself. He's saying, even though I've made mistakes, even though I do wrong, I will continue to strive for the upward call of God in my life. Jesus will have direct influence over everything I do, Paul says. And I challenge you this morning, if you admit that Christ is Lord over your life, read the Gospels one more time, just one more, and see what he did. You see, Jesus is our perfect example to follow. Not culture, not, you know, the latest celebrity, not the latest trends. Jesus is the one to follow. As the missile is headed to Rockwell, and worship team, I'll invite you back up. Everyone kind of sits there and accepts their fate. There's this mass sadness as people begin to realize they're about to die. Then the giant gets this idea. He looks down at the crowd in the town He stoops low, and he says goodbye to Hogarth. And he says, I go, you stay. Then, in one final swoop, he jumps up, explodes into the air. And as the nuclear missile is in the air, about to come down, the giant looks at it makes contact with it, and blows it up, saving the town but blowing up himself in the process. The movie ends with a plaque being built in the town square to commemorate the giant and his heroism. Just then, Hogarth receives a package from the general of the army. The package reads this. The package reads, This is all we could find of him. And the package, inside this package, is a single screw. 
I'm not going to say any more about the movie and how it ends. If you want to watch it, I think it's on Amazon Video or Netflix or whatever. But I'll leave you with this. Because of the self-sacrifice Jesus made, what impact does that have on your life? I'd encourage you this week, you have been gifted by God in incredible ways. Incredible ways that I haven't been, that the person sitting beside you hasn't been. And you've been given this new identity as a child of God, regardless of if you're 90 or 9 years old. So, over this next week, how are you going to use the gifts that God has given you and the identity that God has given you as an agent of reconciliation?